didn't just wish to entertain the people. He wanted to make them better um, by them hearing the Messiah. And so that's my uh, hope for this morning. I'm going to give a little bit of biographical information and then explain a little bit about the uh, genre of the oratorio and the style of singing. And then we're going to listen to a number of pieces. So I'm hoping that about half the class will listen to music. Um, I always come to a class like this um, realizing that I might be answering questions that you don't have. Uh, and so um, I welcome you, if, if, as you have a question, or if I've said something that doesn't quite make sense to you, it all makes sense to me. Uh, but if it doesn't make sense to you, just raise your hand. Uh, you can interrupt me. I'm, I'm very happy to, uh, to explain if I can. But let's first of all go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the return of your day. Uh, we're grateful uh, even for this uh, time of the year where we can spend extended time thinking about your great mercy to us and the love that you showed us in the sending of your Son and the great humility that he displayed, a humility that we need to display uh, each day is if, if we want to show others um, the glory of your name. So we thank you for this, Lord. I pray that you would watch over this particular class hour. I pray that it would be helpful. Um, we ask this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So if you would have uh, been in Dublin, Ireland, the week of Easter or the week immediately after Easter in 1742, you would have seen these handbills, these posters, uh, uh, advertising a new work by George Frederick Handel entitled Messiah. And on the poster, there would have been a Latin phrase, Majora Canimus, let us sing of greater things, and then a verse from 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified by the Spirit, seen of angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This was a verse chosen by the man who assembled the text of Messiah, Charles Jennings. And uh, this, this verse encapsulates what he believed, all of the, all of the music that was to follow. Um, so Handel received uh, what we call the libretto, the text for uh, Messiah um, in late summer of 1741. He started working on it in, in August, August 22nd. Um, of 1741, and he finished it roughly 25 days later, September 14th. It's a, it's a little bit more than three weeks, um, which is an astonishing speed, but not so much for the composers of that day. So we're astonished by it, and uh, composers today would be uh, uh, maybe in despair. They're, 
they're typically not writing that quickly, but it was very different in those days. Uh, composers were not nearly so worried about uh, authenticity or originality. Uh, time was money, and they put notes on the page. And in the case of Handel, he borrows, he's already written, you know, many, many, many pieces. And so he borrows some of his own music uh, from other works, from uh, opera and other things. He, he borrows the music of others, which today we would consider plagiarism. And uh, if we were the president of Harvard, they would be calling for our resignation. Um, but in Handel's day, this was, there are no copyright laws. And this was, in some ways, a, a sign of respect for, for somebody's music. Somebody like Handel borrows your music. This is, wow, this is great. Um, and I haven't studied this personally, but I know that uh, uh, I was reading one musicologist who was saying that when Handel borrowed music, he also improved it. So uh, anyway, so he writes very quickly. Um, the first performance was a few days after Easter in a, a new hall in Dublin, Ireland. There had been an open rehearsal a few days before, and they expected really large crowds. And so they asked the ladies not to wear hoop skirts, hoops in their skirts, and they asked the gentlemen not to bring their swords so that people could cram in. And they did. And it was an amazingly uh, successful performance. When I uh, emailed you the links, I emailed you the, the, the links to a, uh, a recorded performance by a group called The Sixteen. And the reason I chose that is that this first performance probably had 16-ish singers um, and along with solo. So maybe there were 20 singers. There were, would have been an orchestra of 15-ish players, really small com compared to what we often see today. Um, in the century following, there were performances of the Messiah where uh, I think the, the record uh, um, was at the Crystal Palace in London where they had uh, an orchestra of 500 and a choir of 4,000 and an audience of 90,000. Um, but that's not how it started and that's not how most of the performances were uh, when, uh, when uh, Handel was, uh, was living. Um, this, this concert was actually done for a benefit. It was for a benefit of uh, people who were in jail, probably mostly debtors, but a benefit for uh, jail inmates at two local jails and also uh, an orphanage in the area. And, and it was highly successful. And this actually starts one of the the threads of a story for the Messiah is that um, in Handel's lifetime, many times it was performed as a benefit concert. And in fact, uh, Handel, at his death, wills a score in parts uh, to, the, to an orphanage there that he had given um, many, several benefit concerts for. And in fact, um, in, his, in the eulogies to, to Handel, they talked about how he clothed many orphans with, his, uh, with the concerts here. Um, now, the first performance back in London was not nearly so, so successful. 
It was the next year, 1743, and it was scheduled for the Covent Garden Theater, and you put down a shilling and you could go hear Messiah. Um, well, this, you know, London at this time is um, in the midst of the Wesleyan revivals, and there are, are a group of people who are never going to go uh, to a secular theater to hear a sacred work. This was an unacceptable mixing of the sacred and profane. Uh, and so it was not so well received. And in fact, in London, it's not what the Messiah is not well received until it be, is programmed as a benefit concert. Uh, and it's at, uh, uh, then it becomes amazingly successful. And what, when we listen to this music today, we are listening to uh, a remarkable piece of music. In some ways, this is the first classic. Um, so the first time that this is performed in 1742, there was never a year that the Messiah was not performed. And it was shortly thereafter that there are many performances of the Messiah every year. Now, all over the world, there are hundreds, probably thousands of performances of this work of music in very, very different cultures. Um, it's, an, it's a really, really amazing uh, piece of music. Um, and and I'm, I'm here to maybe help explain why it is so. Um, but let me just talk a little bit about what an oratorio is. The oratorio um, develops in Italy um, around in, in, the, uh, in the 1600s, in the, in the uh, probably middle 1600s. Italy was the birthplace of opera. Around 1600, opera develops. But in Rome, you couldn't have operas during Lent. Uh, you know, these, uh, you know the, all these uh, operas were mostly about Greek gods and goddesses and so forth. This was sufficiently pagan that the Pope decided, no, we can't have this during Lent. And so what are we gonna do? Well, composers, uh, they needed to make a living too. And so they switched to this um, idea of an oratorio. And it's so named for a room. It was a room that was sort of off of the main sanctuary. Or sometimes it was a room in a, in a nobleman's house. And uh, these oratorios were mostly, uh, well, entirely sacred. Today there are oratorios that are not so sacred. But these days there are sacred stories, mostly Old Testament stories. They're dramatic works. And you can think of, like, the first oratorio of note is a, an oratorio based on the life of Jephthah. Think of how dramatic this is. Jephthah, you know, offers to sacrifice the first thing that comes through his tent after, after the victory, if the Lord gives him the victory, and it's his daughter, you know, and what happens. Um, it, there are, this, is the, this is the idea of the oratorio. So in many ways, it's like an opera. It's a drama. But they're not acting it out. They're not getting in costumes. They're not acting it out. Um, it's, a, it's a concert piece. It's a concert work. Um, the Messiah was in, during Handel's Day was not performed in churches. It was performed in concert halls. Um, and it was, a, it was a drama. Now, the Messiah, that, the, the piece, the oratory that we're listening to is different than the other oratorios that uh, Handel wrote. By the time, you know, Handel is has spent some time in Italy, and he gets invited to come back to England to produce Italian operas. 
there really weren't English operas. So um, this is why he's in London. Um, and eventually, this uh, people aren't willing to pay for the operas, and he, he shifts to the oratorio. Um, and, uh, but the Messiah is different. You know? So Handel does write an oratorio based on, based on Jephthah. Another one is Israel and Egypt. Um, and um, the, the story of Saul, and you know, these really dramatic Old Testament stories. But the Messiah is not like that. It's uh, a collection of scripture. There's only one other oratorio that, that Handel writes that's also a collection of scripture, uh, has exactly scripture text, and that's an oratorio Esther um, that uses largely scripture. And, and Handel didn't assemble these. He had a, a, a patron, a man named Charles Jennings, who was an incredibly wealthy man. Um, he would have been a, you know, of a Jeff Bezos level for his day, incredibly wealthy. He was a scholar. He was eccentric, apparently, but he was a scholar, a Shakespearean scholar, uh, and he was a lover of music, and he had already supplied Handel with other texts for oratorios, and he had subscribed to Handel's music, so Handel was um, making a living in part because Jennings loved his music, and, uh, and so when Jennings gives him this um, libretto, uh, Haydn sits on it for a or Haydn, I keep saying Haydn, but I mean Handel. So at this point, whenever I say Haydn, in your mind, you just, you just think Handel. Um, yeah, he, he, uh, he waits a little bit, but he, wait, he waits till, you know, there's this, this, this sort of lull in the concert season, and he tells Jennings, I'm going to start writing it, and he writes it very quickly. In fact, this bothered Jennings, because Jennings is this connoisseur of great music, and he feels like Handel rushed through this. Um, he actually criticized the Messiah at first. He says it was good, but it wasn't as good as it could have been. Um, and uh, eventually he, he, he uh, walked back from his criticism. And if truth be told, Handel never stopped revising it. So, for example, I, I sent you a, uh, a libretto. I sent you the text, all the Bible verses in Messiah. Well, it, there, is, there was no performance during Handel's lifetime. I, I, they weren't exactly the same. You know, sometimes an alto would sing a one uh, aria, and sometimes a tenor would sing, or a bass would sing, and then and he would adjust which scripture passages would be used and so forth. So Handel, Handel kept revising as well. Um, the thing about Jennings is he, he is wealthy, he's, a, he's a, a lover of Handel's music, but he's also a devout Christian incredibly devout man who uh, was very generous with his money, do donating to foreign missions, um, do donating as well to um, um, other charities. Um, and he is really bothered by the, encroaching, uh, the encroachment of the Enlightenment. And especially in England and, and a few other places in Europe, this is, uh, manifests itself in a, a movement called deism. Um, the idea that, you, so it would, would have been out of fashion, uh, like an atheist would, would have been shunned by everyone. And so people who wanted to disbelieve 
they, they wouldn't admit to, to not believing in God at all, but they believed in this, this God who created everything, you know, the, the way it's often described, is that God is, was like a watchmaker. He creates everything, he winds it up, he lets it go, and basically it's us. You know, it's up to us to make, make good. Um, now, where does this leave Christ? Where does leave, he, he's, he's, he's a good man. He's a teacher, but he's not Messiah. And uh, Jennings is, is um, very disturbed by this. And so the texts of the Messiah are in part uh, his response. He had other responses that he wrote against deism or maybe not so much against deism but uh, promoting the deity of Christ. But this is what's happening in Messiah. Um, so Messiah is divided into three sections. Um, the first is the prophecy and the fulfillment of, of Christ's birth. So it starts in Isaiah 40, and it goes, it goes through a number of the prophetic passages, and then it goes into Luke 2, uh, and we'll listen to a little bit of that in just, in just uh, a few moments. The second section is about the, 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 uh, the death and the resurrection of Christ. At the end of the second section comes the Hallelujah Chorus, and we'll listen to that as well in, in due course. And then the final section is, is, is really like the, the, the final victory of Christ. Death, where's your sting? Um, in, um, at, at, at the very end, the, the choir sings, worthy is the lamb that was slain. So the final section, there are a number of different references from um, the book of Revelation. But it's like the ultimate victory of Christ and our ultimate victory through Christ, through the Messiah. Um, did I say this already? The Hallelujah Chorus comes at the end of the second section. We're so used to going to performances that are not the complete performance, and so that we often, uh, often the very last thing we hear at, uh, let's even, even today, if, if you'll go, it's, uh, here in America, the uh, Messiah is usually performed at Christmas time, and they'll do parts of the first two sections. Um, during Handel's day, it was most often uh, performed around Easter. Um, so, it seemed like there was one other thing I wanted to tell you, but I can't remember. I'm sure it was brilliant. All right. Um, I forget the important things. You know. <laughs> I can tell you, you know, who won the World Series in 1970, but I can't tell you who, you know, <laughs> important things. All right. Uh, let me just talk a little bit about the music, because um, for some of you, for some of you have you listened to this many times, but some of you, this is not uh, a style of music that you listen to very frequently. Um, there are three styles of singing that are going to show up in the Messiah. The one, the first style is the most plain um, and maybe the least evocative, and it's uh, called recitative. You, you hear the word recite in that word. Um, and this was a style of singing that was invented uh, early, you know, at the, right around the turn of the century, 1600-ish. And it was, uh, f it was for opera. And it was the idea that you could get lots of t 
text out. They were decided that music, some guys were sitting around and they decided that music that was going on in 1600 was nothing at all the way, like the way the Greeks would have done it. They have just come into uh, contact with some of the, the Greek texts um, and uh, about music. And so they're studying it and they decide this is not how the Greeks would have done it. We should do it like the Greeks do. And so they invent this style of singing um, that follows speech patterns. So in the Messiah, uh, the recitatives are more expressive than some of the operas of the day, but um, they don't have any repetition. So you're just gonna go right through the verse and they often serve as sort of a narration um, for um, more dramatic works that are gonna come. So we have recitative, um, and as I say, the, the, the rhythms are gonna mimic speech and we're not going to have, they're not gonna be singing the same thing over and over again. This was one of the criticisms that John Wesley had for uh, the Messiahs that they had these courses and these arias where people just kept singing the same thing over and over again. Um, to which I would say, John, that's how we remember stuff. So uh, the second style of singing, and this also is for solo voice, is an aria. And in the arias in the, in the Messiah, um, you know, they're often long flowing melodies. One of the things that you're gonna notice in all of the pieces, um, whether it's chorus or solo voice, uh, uh, the aria or the recitative, you're gonna notice what we call word painting or text painting. Handel was a master at this. He's, he's going to portray um, the meaning of the text through the music. And that's mostly what I want to point out to you today. I want you to see how um, the gestures of the music uh, foreshadow uh, sometimes or uh, interpret sometimes um, the text that is going to be sung. So we have recitative, we have aria. The third kind of singing is, uh, is the chorus. And this is unique to the oratorio. So the Italian operas of the day, and they're basically, they're, they're mostly Italian operas. There are a, a few other countries where they're doing opera, but they didn't use choruses. Um, but in England, England has a long tradition of singing and uh, choir singing. And so the oratorios focus heavily on the, on the, on the chorus. And uh, Handel, in, he, he wrote, uh, he, he took advantage of this in a, in a number of other cases as well, just writing music for, for choirs to sing. But, and this is maybe the most Im important part of the, uh, of the English oratorio that, that we're going to be hearing, uh, but typically so. Um, I was just talking, I was just thinking the, about the importance of the Messiah. So um, the next century, um, uh, Mozart comes to uh, England. Mozart hears Handel's Messiah. Mozart goes back and he... He, um, he does his own version of Handel's Messiah. Um, uh, Haydn, the famous composer Haydn, uh, heard uh, the Messiah and uh, supposedly uh, at the end he was just weeping. He said Handel was the master of us all. So this music is not only, it was not only important for its day, but in, it influenced the great composers that followed. All right, we're gonna listen now. Um, and I just wanna quote uh, 
uh, a music philosopher that I, I go to frequently. I mean, but talking about the relationship between words and music. And he says that we surround the words with gestures which in some way complete them. It's as though the music is observing the words with a sympathetic gaze. It's standing next to them and moving with them. And I think you're going to hear this in the Messiah, this very thing. This is what makes this such a powerful piece, is the way that the music moves alongside um, the text. And of course, we have the greatest text ever, right? It's God's word, uh, organized in a way that helps us reflect on his son. Um, and, and now we have music that helps us do that. And so I think that's what's going on. So I, I'm going to just, we're going to start to listen to music. But before I do that, do you, are there any questions that spring to your mind? Yes, sir. Um, no, I'll tell you, so I don't know when they actually, the tradition started, but I do know when we first hear, hear about it, and it's basically third hand, about 20 years after Handel's death, um, uh, we have a, a, a correspondence, a letter where a man writes that he had heard from somebody else that the king stood when they got to the Hallelujah Chorus and the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, that particular phrase. And when the king stood, everybody else did. So that's what we know. It's third hand in a letter, um, but uh, that, that has not stopped uh, people from standing ever since. Um, my Tubi Phonium Choir did a, an arrangement. I don't, know, I don't know if we should do this. Tubas and euphoniums playing the Hallelujah Chorus, but we liked it. But we did it for a, uh, for a retirement community, and, and uh, they all stood. People who could barely stand stood for the, Masai, for, for the Hallelujah Chorus. Um, yeah, so that's, that's as close as we can get to whether the, whether the king. But we do know that the king wasn't in attendance, for sure. And Handel, Handel is... It was not uncommon for royalty to come to performances of Handel's music. Uh, and he was actually, I think, one of the princes, uh, Princess Anne uh, gave uh, Handel a stipend, uh, basically a, year, a yearly salary to be Handel. <laughs> what, a, what a gig that would be, huh? <laughs> Here, have this money. You just write music, whatever you want. And uh, so Handel was... Uh, you have to understand that the, the, the royal, I need to get on, I'm getting off track a little bit, but the king and the queen and so forth, they're from German heritage. Um, you know, the English rule was that the, the sovereign had to be a Protestant. So around this time, we have the King Georges, um, and they're the, the closest Protestant um, in, you know, line. And so you know, there are several Georges that didn't speak much English. Uh, they were much better in German. And this was actually, I think, one of the things that uh, helped uh, Handel uh, ingratiate himself to the royalty because Handel himself was German. Um, the stories of Handel, because Handel spent time in, uh, in Italy, and he's, he's born in Germany, of course, and he's living in England for a long time, and apparently he had a great sense of humor. 
And so, but to understand his jokes, you had to know three languages because he would just lapse into whatever language he happened to be thinking of at the time. All right, enough of that. Let's listen to the music. We're surrounding the words with gestures which in some way complete them. So we're going to start by listening to the instrumental music. And I'm going to play all of this for you. Um, the instrumental music that begins uh, the Messiah. It's called the pastoral. And what you're going to hear are dotted rhythms, long, short, long, short, long. And this uh, has, f from this time, but even up to this day, this presents the idea of, of, of majesty, of gravity to a situation. If you want to have that sort of sound, this is important. We'll do these dotted rhythms. And then we have this happy music that follows that's um, kind of like a fugue. Uh, it would maybe the simplest way to explain it would be a little bit like singing around. So it gets the, the same melody gets tossed around the orchestra. Um, and this is going to happen over and over again in the choruses. Uh, and and it, it's, it's kind of portraying the idea that every, everybody has a right to be joyful. Um, and then at the very end, it ends very abruptly and almost somberly because the next thing that we're going to hear is comfort ye, my people. And we're going to go into the prophecy of the coming of the Messiah, but there are, there are hard things to follow. So in this way, Handel really sets the mood, foreshadows really what's going to happen um, in the um, uh, several hours that follows. Now here is the round, very joyous music.
I think I'm going to stop it there. Sorry, I'm going to be doing this uh, a lot, but I want to get to other music. One, the, the next one we're going to listen to is the aria. It's a tenor aria, Every Valley Shall Be Exalted. And it's a really, uh, an, it's an excellent example of this text painting that we're talking about. So the most important word in this particular verse is the idea of exalted. And so how are we going to emphasize this word? Well, there are a couple things that happen. Um, and this happens really throughout music history. One of the ways that we're, he's going to exalt the word exalted is to have lots of notes on that one, on that one word. Um, the other thing that he's going to do is it's going to be a rising line. So uh, it's, it's, it's going to keep going up and up and up. The valleys are going to be exalted. And then we're going to get to the phrase, the mountain and hill made low. And you'll hear the notes go lower. And then you'll hear the phrase, the crooked straight. And you'll hear the music, crooked straight. Um, and the rough place is plain and the music sounds just very smooth. Um, um, and I'm, I want to play this for you. This is the... Uh, because if you practice listening for this, you're, you're going to hear these kinds of things all throughout the Messiah. And I won't have to be the one to explain. You'll, pro you'll catch things maybe that, that uh, I won't mention. So this is, uh, every valley shall be exalted. Oh, come on. Let's go here. This is not every valley shall be exalted. Here we are. Here is the orchestra foreshadowing the music, the joy coming. I think you get the idea, right? And then it goes and has a, a little repeat there. The next section we're going to listen to starts uh, the section uh, around Luke 2. And there are four short recitatives, one after the other. Um, some of them have very simple accompaniment. Others, the orchestra comes in. And what you're going to hear is the orchestra providing... Uh, sort of explaining the text a little bit. So 
Uh, there were shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch of their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord came upon them. And you'll hear the music get more, the orchestra accompaniment get a little bit more excited. Um, and this day is born to you in the city of David, a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And you'll hear the words Christ the Lord emphasized. And then you'll hear, and suddenly, and the music will change again. And then it takes us into the chorus, glory to God. And um, you'll, you'll hear the majesty of the text, glory to God. And then you're going to hear the phrase, and peace on earth. And it's really low. Um, and you can hear Handel, um, um, you know, juxtaposing the glory of God and even what peace on earth looks like, and it, it's it's this this huge this huge gap, um, and then you're going to hear uh, them singing about goodwill, and you have this goodwill, you'll have this rising line, uh, little interval, and it gets um, passed around all of the chorus. They just keep uh, echoing each other, because it's communicating this goodwill is to all people. So this will take um, a couple minutes, but we're just going to listen straight through. Um... I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, 
to the second section. I'm going to play just a little bit of the aria, He Shall Feed His Flock, because one of the other ways that Handel um, helps portray the text has to do with the meter, the time signature that he chooses. In this case, um, he does six beats per measure, and that is, has typically uh, been off, often been used for sort of a pastoral setting. And um, so you have one, two, three, four, five, six. It gives a sense of peacefulness because there are more, there are more beats in each measure, and it gives us a sense of sort of being able to wander. Um, and just using that little device, the music along with it, helps give the idea of, of the good shepherd. Let me just... Uh, One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five, six. You can hear the kind of lilt to the music. go over some of the passage that pastor has preached uh, recently. Uh, the first one I want to uh, talk about is the, the chorus, All We Like Sheep. And Handel does something uh, remarkable in this, uh, in this chorus. So all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's a very uh, somber verse. But when you listen to the music, uh, Handel doesn't do that. He, it's very frivolous. And he's, and he's, he's highlighting the fact of, of our foolishness. And people are just mindlessly going their own way, right? Um, and, uh, and then the, the music changed when he has laid on the Lord, laid on him the iniquity of us all. So a little bit of, of um, all we like sheep have gone astray. Let me get to it here. It just seems silly almost, doesn't it? Like Handel doesn't get it. You hear the gone astray?
one of the things that's going on in the music too, I mean, the music is really fast, it, and it's really portraying. It's, it's not like we were, we were like battling this going astray. We're rushing. We're hurrying to go astray. We're hurrying to do our own thing, um, and it's it's a, a, a amazing musical depiction of the truth of the sinner. It's. Uh, not like we were, you know, there's none that seeketh righteousness, right? And, and this is what Handel's p- portraying here. We're rushing to do the wrong thing. Let's see if I can get to the end of this a little bit. So the music changes really dramatically. Um, the passages that we considered last week, all they that see him laugh him to scorn. And uh, Pastor noted that uh, it's, he, the, the text is different than, than the, most, of the, most of this, uh, the verses Jennings took from um, the authorized version. But many of the Psalms, he rather than use the authorized version, he used the Book of Common Prayer. And so that's, and this is where they changed, changed the pronouns. Um, so the psalm says, you know, they laugh me to scorn, but, but the Book of Common Prayer changes the pronouns, the idea that it's, it's Christ, that we are, you know, it's Christ that's being laughed to scorn. So um, what the same, same thing happens here. Um, he uh, handled brings music in that uh, has a lot of um, sort of drama. He actually brings back music that he'd used earlier for uh, Christ giving his back to the smiters. Um, so it, again, it's these uh, sort of um, really fast dotted rhythms showing the drama of this. Um, and the music kind of goes back and forth, almost portraying like the shaking of heads and and people uh, laughing at him. Um, Let me get there. the music kind of going back and forth portraying the shaking of the heads and then the next is he trusted in the Lord and and took his delight in him so here he is he's trusted in the Lord look where he is he's up on the cross Did did that help him and again, the music is sort of making fun. The situation is incredibly serious. Um, but, um, uh, you know, you'll, you'll hear the music like in the word, on the word delight in him. It kind of, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're making fun 
of the Savior. And again, the parts get passed around the choir because it's the idea is that everybody is laughing at him. Everybody is making this. Look, he trusted in the Lord and look what happened to him. Um, Well, I need to, I want to finish on a happier note, but I need to get going because the choir director is going to get mad if he goes, if the Sunday school teacher goes over. Um, there's probably music that would portray that, right? Let me just finish with a little bit of the Hallelujah Chorus, um, and I'll, I'll play all of it. But a couple things that Handel does here. Hallelujah, he, he, the rhythm of the, t- of the word, hallelujah, he puts into the music. The way that we would say it or that we would shout if when something good happens, hallelujah, that's the rhythm of the music. Do, 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 he, So he uses the rhythm of the words. Uh, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. All of a sudden, all the members of the choir, all the members of the orchestra are on the same note. It's like, what can we add? God is in control. Nothing need be added here. Um, and then uh, the kingdom of this world, low notes, has become, and all of a sudden loud and high, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And the last two-thirds of this chorus are, he shall reign forever and ever. And the, in this case, the tossing around of, the, of that forever and ever in all the parts, it's portraying the idea of eternity. But above it all, just on one single note, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's masterful. If the king stood, uh, he, this, is, this is why. Huh? <laughs> Sorry. You need not stand.
to stop, but you can listen to those links that I sent you and, and I think be blessed. Lord, we do thank you that uh, what we've been listening to is not just beautiful, but it's, it's also true. And it helps us uh, reflect on you, helps us reflect on your son. And um, I pray that as a result, that we would uh, live gratefully, that we would live praiseworthy lives in the week up, uh, coming up. Please bless the service that follows. Uh, would you superintend all that is uh, in it? We ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much.